we will not leave the way we came in the precious holy name of Jesus let our church say amen and amen smile tonight at me amen church is coming back together if you have your bible here turn with me to the book of John St. John chapter 14 St. John chapter 14 I know many people, when I start this tonight, may even think, if you're listening to me online, some of you may be even here in my fellowship. I think I've lost my mind, but I haven't. I promise you. I preached a message not long ago and told you that we were going to begin to see more divine manifestations of God. And that God was going to reveal himself in many different ways. The other evening, the other night, and uh, it's happened <laughs> not only in my room, in my house, but in Darlene's bedroom too. Uh, one night, Tina woke up and said that she was burning up. And it just so happened that the fan had turned over in the reverse side instead of the summer side, it was in the winter time. And we thought to ourselves, how could that be? Well, Darlene had made a statement or two that her fan in her home, in our house, had just come on, I believe she said, without anybody hitting anything. It just come on. Well, the next night as I was laying in the bed, we had the fan on pretty high, and I lay up under the fan, and the fan was just blowing pretty good, and all of a sudden the fan just went off. I was kind of asleep, but it was kind of almost I'd been praying, studying, I had the laptop or iPad in my lap. And the fan just quit. I reached over to grab the remote, which is in the drawer of the nightstand, to turn it back on. And the nightstand drawer was open. And the remote had been turned completely upside down. And when I grabbed this thing and I turned it back together, I turned around, and immediately there stood an angel. And he began to speak to me. I got up out of the bed and I went and I sat in the recliner and we talked for a little while. I shared a little bit with the family what he had said, but there's some things that I had to wait until tonight to start with. I believe that God is divinely manifesting himself to his leaders in this hour because he's getting the church ready for a great move of God. If y'all believe that tonight, say amen. amen. In John chapter 14, verse number 15. Through 21, and we're going to read this in probably Romans chapter 8 tonight. I intend to open up a teaching, and I, and I want you to be praying for me because God is still delivering me through this as well. And uh, sometimes it's really hard to put in words the deep things of God. So I want you to pray for me tonight that I can do that. It is my hope tonight that I can teach you to where you can begin to see what's been wrong in your life. What's been going on in your life behind the scenes, what the enemy has tricked and duped us into, what we've been ignorant of, and why certain things have transpired in our house and in our life. And God wants to deliver us from that tonight. Amen? Amen. In John chapter 14, verse number 15, the Word of God says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Amen. 
Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. This is my text tonight, verse 18. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Amen. I love that scripture. <laughs> I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live. And ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him. And I will manifest, or I will show myself yeah. unto him. You, Let the church say amen. Amen. I want you to look at that word comfortless tonight. I hope you have a pen. I hope you'll write this down. It's very important. There's a lot of things that's going to be very important tonight. The word in Greek for comfortless is a word that you've heard quite a bit in your life. It is where we get our English word orphan from. Is orphanos. Orphan. The word literally means to be bereft or deprived or lacking parents. To be lacking a teacher, to be lacking a guide, to be lacking a guardian. To be fatherless and to live a life as an orphan bereaved. I'm going to read that again in just a few minutes. But Jesus said that he would not leave us as an orphan. <laughs> Everyone here tonight just say, thank God I'm not an orphan. Thank God I'm not an orphan. I do thank God that we are not an orphan. Our problem is, is we live like we're an orphan. We act like we're an orphan. We react like we're an orphan. And God can't do what he needs to do in the house of God because we have allowed that orphan mentality to come in and stop the light of the Holy Ghost. The word used as comfortless there is orphanos. It means to be bereft. It means to be deprived and lacking parents. To lack a teacher, to lack a guide, to lack a guardian, to lack fathers, to be fatherless, and feel the pain of an orphan. In our assembly tonight, we have two orphans that are actual, true orphans. They're sitting on the second row. They know what it feels like to be an orphan. They know what it feels like in their life to be rejected. There is a lot of pain that comes from that rejection. There's a lot of issues that you put up with in life, and what you become comes who you are out of the pain that you experienced in your life as an orphan. The word bereaved means you are deprived of a close relationship or a close relation of a family member or friend through their death. 
it goes further to tell you that it means you are suffering a severe and a damaging lack of basic and cultural benefits. It means to be an orphan that your growth is stunted. When the church does not realize that they are not an orphan, their growth is stunted. Their development is stunted. Their growth with the Lord is hindered, and they cannot be what God wants them to be. In our conversation the other night, the angel shared with me and told me one little statement. He said, minister to the orphans. I didn't know what he meant, and I studied and I prayed all week. The Lord spoke earlier today, and he said, I've given you a message. Now go study it and bring it to the church. We have a lot of folks, not only in this church, but in almost every church. If you could go to this land today, they are living the life of the orphan mentality. I want you to understand that that orphan mentality is brought to you from a demonic spirit. It is a spirit straight from hell. The Bible calls it the spirit of bondage or the spirit of slavery. The Bible tells us, we'll really read a little bit later on tonight, that we have been given the spirit of adoption. Everyone just say, thank you for adopting me, Jesus. We have a father up in heaven. He is a father to the fatherless. He is a husband to the widowless. Widows. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. But the devil would have us to believe that God don't care about our every day activity. The devil would have us believe that we don't have a father. And we don't have no one that we can lean on to and that we can find any comfort in our life. The devil would have us believe that we're in this all by ourselves. And if I don't do it, nobody won't do it. I'm already talking to some tonight. Amen. In Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, Peter shared something to us that we all know, but sometimes we seem to forget. An orphan is an orphan because a death has happened. Their mom and dad can still be alive, but the relationship has died. And as Peter was speaking about Jesus in Acts chapter 2, verse 24, he said God had raised him up. And he was talking about Jesus. He said God raised him up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. So when God, when Jesus died and came out of the grave, Jesus released the pains of death. And what Peter was telling us is that death is full of pain. If you've ever lost a loved one, you know what I'm talking about, that pain is there. And every time you think of them, you feel that pain. Amen? You miss them, even though you've adjusted in life when things come together and the family comes together, there's that missing and empty seat. That pain is still on the inside. You learn how to cope with that pain. That word loose there in chapter 2 of verse 24 in Acts means to be to unbind it and release it and set you free. God, God set his children free from all the pain that death can cause you in your life. He unleashed it, he unbound it, and he released us from it. We do not have to suffer the pains of death. Our church should say amen. amen. But I thought that I needed to explain to you what that word pain there means. 
Because I want you to understand that death is intolerable. You and along within yourself, without some type of help from someone, grief counselor, whatever, will never be able to handle death and the pain that it brings. That word in the Greek for pain there means intolerable anguish. It goes further to share with you that it is severe mental and physical pain and suffering. Death, the pains that are in death, will cause your mind to hurt. It will cause you mentally to lose your mind. It will cause you to have such a situation in your mind that your nerves go crazy and your body will actually die and not respond to your nerves. So to anesthetize the pain that we have in the pains of death, so many people do so many things. For some and for me, one of them was that I numbed the pain. I would go and I would get high to numb the pain. I would drink something that would get me where I didn't have to think about how bad I hurt. For others, it was that they withdrew themselves and they went in the room and all they did was cry. For others, they were so oppressed, the phone, depressed that the phone would ring, they wouldn't answer the phone. They stayed in the house. They would not leave the house. They don't go out to the grocery store. They don't go out to the store. Someone comes to their door to visit them, and they don't come to the door, and they don't answer the door. Am I talking to anybody tonight? Amen. Have you ever been there? Amen. That's the pains of death. Although it may not be that a family member has died, the pain of death is alive on the inside of you when God has already said that I've already delivered you from the pain of death. I have released you. I have unbound you from the pains of death. You don't have to live that way, but we wind up doing so. For others of us, what we do when the pains of death get so tough and where it's intolerable and the anguish is so bad is we lose our temper. Amen. We lift up our voice. We rage a little bit because that pain is tough. It means extreme distress and we go into extreme anxiety. Your blood pressure gets high. Hello, everybody. Amen. Your blood pressure gets high. Your head goes to hurting. You get all nervous and you're so, so filled with anxiety you can't go to sleep. Am I talking to anybody tonight? Amen. Did you come for some help tonight? Amen. Look at somebody and say, I'm not an orphan. Mm, but we act like it and we live like we're orphan. Death is full of pain. The fear of death and the pain it contains brings us into bondage. So let's look at what the fear of death will do. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2 verse 15. God is teaching me something, Pastor Sissy. But what I've got to do in ministry to some of these folks that are here at Living Water Worship Center, and for those of you that are online here tonight, what I need to minister to you. We have some 1,800 people every service that listens to my preaching. 1,800. You've got a good hand for that, amen? I don't care if there's three here. If I just put out a little silent message, 1,800 people hear what i got to say. So the Lord is ministering. So for those of you that are on the, the internet tonight, those of you that are listening here, those of you that are here, those of you that are not here, 
God wants to share with you what your problem is and what's been your problem for all the many years that you have been alive, whether you're 80 or you're 8. This has been one problem. Now, you can be saved. You can be sanctified. And you can be filled with the Holy Ghost. You can be a minister. You can be laying your hands on people that are sick and they can recover. You can cast devils out. You can grab a hold of things and drink it uh, by accident and not destroy you but still be in bondage to death, still feel the pain of death, still react in the way you react to the fear of death. And in Hebrews chapter number 2, verse 15, talking about Jesus, that Jesus is a better priest than the Aaronic priesthood, the writer of Hebrews says this, that he come to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. As an orphan, you live your whole life subject to bondage because you are in fear of death. Look at verse number 14. I'm not going to read it all, but you'll see in that verse that Jesus came as the seed of Abraham. And that scripture says that he destroyed the devil and all the power that he possessed with death. Everyone just call out and say, thank you for the victory, Jesus. Thank you for the victory. I am going to help you tonight, I promise you. Amen. Amen. Look at that verse there, that word in verse 13, uh, verse 13, I can't hardly talk, and look at the word destroy. That word in the Hebrew, the Greek for destroy is he rendered it idle. In other words, it can't go to work in your life no more. Death and the devil are rendered idle in your life. Let the church say amen. amen. That word also means he's unemployed. Everybody tell the devil, say, devil, devil, you've been fired in my life. Now, if we can live that way, boy, we can literally be delivered and we can live, overcome everything there is in the world. So the word destroy means he rendered the devil's workings and the power of death idle. He unemployed it. He made him become inactive. It made it to the point to where he is inoperative. He can't do any operations in your life as long as the victory that Jesus had won on the cross of Calvary is applied. Amen. It also means that he caused that uh, one to have that power to have no further efficiency in your life. He can't be efficient in your life. There is a guideline that God has put on your life. There is a line that God has put on your life. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of the blood of Jesus Christ, the devil cannot work in your life unless you allow it. That word destroy means that God caused the devil to cease everything that he was doing in your life. At the cross of Calvary, at the cross of Calvary, I'll say it again, at the cross of Calvary, everything hell tries to do in your life stops. It means he put an end to it. It means he annulled whatever he had in your life, whatever contract he had in your life, whatever place he had in your life. It also means he abolished that place. It also means that he done away with it. And it means also that he terminated all intercourse that you had with the enemy and with the kingdom of hell. And he deprived him from all his strength that he had in your life at the cross. Down at the cross where my Savior. Down where from cleansing from sin I cried. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name. Boy, if we could get that 
everybody here would be praising the Lord tonight. Amen. Hebrews 2 and 15 says, He delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And in verse 14, he said, I destroyed the devil and the power that the devil had in your life. He literally put you to the point to where you have more power than the enemy and the enemy cannot operate in your life. That should be enough for you to close your book tonight, go home and live victorious. The word in verse 15 where it says there that he has come to deliver them. That word deliver means he removed you, he released you, and he set you free, and he withdrew you from any claim that anybody else had on your life. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I am set free. I have been delivered. There ain't no claim that hell has on my life. He can go to the courtroom in heaven all day, every day, and he can present his case. But the blood of Jesus Christ will always win the battle. In the middle of that courtroom, the Holy Spirit will stand up and say, No, he's washed by the blood. And God will claim, No, that happened 25 years ago before he ever gave his heart to me. And he ain't going to have to pay the price. He's innocent under the power of Almighty God. I am delivered from the fear of death and I am not in bondage in my lifetime anymore in Hebrews 2.15 I'm going to read it again he delivered them who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage how many here wants to be free tonight Hello, all. How y'all doing tonight? I'll talk to y'all. I said, how many here tonight really want to be free? Well, you are free you don't have to live like that. That's right. Yes. You do not have to, when your things go wrong, go in your room and boohoo your eyes out for 50 hours. That's right. You do not have to be depressed. You don't have the devil, don't have a claim in your life. He is rendered inoperative in your life. He has been terminated. You can't talk to him and he can't talk to you yeah. if you're in the proper place with Almighty God. He said, I have delivered them that was in the fear of death that had been subject to bondage all their lifetime. He said, I've done that. Now, now let me explain to you. The fear of death means that you're put in alarm or you're put in fear or you're frightful of what can happen. What's somebody going to think about you? What's somebody going to say about you? You're fearful of that. That's the fear of death. We're going to get into that a little bit further tonight. I want you to look at your neighbor here tonight again as darlings come in and tell them, say, you are not an orphan. Stop living like you are. He said, I have delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That word subject there means one who is held in anything so he cannot escape. If you fear death, you are in bondage and you are held in bondage in your life and you cannot escape. No matter how much you try, you can't escape. Every time you get mad with your husband, your wife, raise your voice, you're not going to win the battle, you will not escape. Hello, amen. amen. 
I don't care how many times you go into your room, you shut the room, and you cry like you're a little baby, although yeah, you leave there yeah. and you feel a little bit better, and you won't answer the phone, or when somebody calls you, or you won't go to the door when somebody comes. It don't matter how many times you isolate yourself, and you withdraw, and you try to protect yourself with that, you are still in bondage when you walk out that room, although you might feel a little bit better. Amen. Amen. Am I helping anybody tonight? Smile at somebody and say, I am not an orphan. And I'm not going to live like I am one. I hope I can help some people tonight. Amen. John the Baptist and Jesus, they told about us in Luke chapter 1 verse 79. And it said that they were sent to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. These people, John the Baptist, and we are in the period of time now that the spirit, the power of Elijah is being poured out again, which is the anointing that was on John the Baptist. And he was sent there in, uh, to people that were sitting in darkness and they were there in the shadow of death and his anointing that he had on his life was to guide them into the way of peace. How many of you here just needs for peace to be still in your life? How many need some peace in your life? Need to quit worrying about this. Quit worrying about that. Quit worrying about how you're going to pay your bills. Quit worrying about what people think about you. Quit worrying about what your husband and your wife think about you, how much they love you. Quit worrying about what your family thinks about you. All that stuff. Quit worrying about everything. Quit worrying about what you lost, what you can lose, what you will lose, and all that stuff. You can't lose nothing that ain't already yours anyway, and you can't lose anything that ain't yours anyway. So we got it all in the name of Jesus. He said that this anointing that is on John the Baptist and the anointing that was going to be on Jesus was sent to give light to those people that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death so that they could guide their feet into the way of peace. Everybody would love to have everything working out all right all the time. Every time you touch your hand on something, works good for you. When you say something, works good for you. When you go to apply your gift and your talent and your ability in it, works good for you. How you would love to have that in your life tonight? Can I get an amen from my crowd tonight? Amen. All right. That word to give light is a word that we hear quite a bit, but we don't understand it. It is the word in the Greek, epiphany. So this anointing that now is resting on Living Water Worship Center, which is the spirit and the power of Elijah, is to use you and I so that people can come to an epiphany. Now that word epiphany means that you usually have a sudden manifestation or a sudden perception of the essential nature of meaning of life. So God now is anointing us so we can show people why we're here. Why we go through what we went through and why we've allowed ourselves to go through that, it goes on. It means to intuitively grasp reality through a simple or striking event and to discover something or come to realize something. So what God is doing right now tonight as he's ministering on the orphan spirit to you is he's telling you this is what spirit has been working in your life to keep you from living life to the fullest. How many of you ready to live life to the fullest? Walking in all of the nine gifts of the spirit displaying all the nine fruits of the Spirit, walking in the anointing of the Lord. Every time your foot touches somewhere, hell begins to scream. Every time you get up, hell don't know what to do with you. If that's what you want, God said, I've already sent the anointing. I've already won the battle. And now all I'm waiting for you to do is to have an epiphany. Smile at that right beside and say, you're going to have an epiphany tonight. Amen. 
said that you've been sitting in darkness and you've been under the shadow of death and now I'm going to grab you and I'm going to put you on the way of peace. Oh, everybody here just make a confession with me tonight and say from this point on, my life's going to get a whole lot better. Turn to that right beside you and say, I'm going to act a lot better. <laughs> Talk to another one over there and say, I'm going to praise a lot better. Say, I'm going to worship a lot better. I'm going to be a better child of the king. My life is getting better and it's going to turn right now in the name of Jesus. Why? Because I am getting an epiphany of the Lord. God is suddenly beginning to get me to realize why it is I drunk that first beer. Why it is that I get angry at my wife when she says a certain thing. Or I get upset with y'all when y'all act stupid. And I go out there and he's beginning to share with me what's wrong. I've been living my life in the fear of death and I have not given God the proper power and the proper glory and the proper praise that he deserved because at the cross, at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, Jesus whipped the devil and showed the devil you ain't got no right to touch him any longer. But I let him do it. You let him do it. And the whole time we're in the fear of death, our whole lifetime we live in bondage. While I was speaking with the angel, a vision flapped through my head and I was standing in a room that looked like I was in a prison cell and there was bars around me, but they weren't bars like you would see. They were bars of fire. And every time in that little vision I tried to get through the fire, it would burn me and I'd pull back. How many of you, if you when you, when you get burnt, you, you react? I ain't a soul in here tonight that walks up to the stove and just lays your hands on and say, turn on the burner. I'll just sit here and let it burn me. See this prison, when you try to get out of it, it'll burn you. It'll burn you. This fear of death causes people to fall to addictions. They try to numb the pain that the death brings. Hebrews 2 and 15 says, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 2 verse 24 says, there is pains in death. And when you are fearful of the pain and having to experience that, you look and you seek for something to anesthetize it. You look for some type of medicine. And for many people, a medicine is the drugs or it is the alcohol or it is going out and doing this or pulling aside and withdrawing on the inside, not talking to anybody. I don't want to talk to you right now. I ain't want to talk about that right now. Oh, my God, how many have been busy like that? And you've done that before. So the Lord is ready to deliver you. And I tap that beside it and say, are you ready to be delivered? So we've been sitting in darkness and we're in the shadow of death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the of death, of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Boy, that's a powerful statement. The reason why you withdraw and you go into your bedroom and you cry like a little baby when things ain't going right is you fear evil. Am I helping anybody? reason why you get upset with your wife or your husband when they say or do anything is because you are fearful of evil. You are living in the shadow of death. That word shadow, actually there, it literally means to be overshadowed and obscured from bubbling optimism. Anybody ever met a pessimist? A pessimist is one that can find something wrong in everything. You give them a million dollars and they'll find something wrong when you give them a million dollars. Well, you could have gave me a million dollars in one. <laughs> when you're in the shadow of, the, of death and you fear death, every bit of optimism that you have in life is overshadowed. 
You can't be optimistic. Why? Because death darkens and conceals your identity in Jesus Christ. So let's confess something tonight. If I've already talked to you, somebody say amen. amen. And I talk to everybody here tonight, say amen. amen. All right, turn to your neighbor right beside of you and say, I don't know who I am. But I will before I leave tonight. If death and the fear of death and the shadow of death we've been living in and we've been sitting in darkness hides and conceals our identity in Christ, then we don't really know who we are. And because we don't know who we really are, the enemy can literally destroy us. And because of this, we live our lives like we're orphans spiritually. But everybody say it again, women, and I say, I am not an orphan. Now, you need to really believe that. Now, turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verse number 1. I'm going to read this whole chapter. It's very important that you get all this. But really, I only want to talk to you about one verse in there. But if you don't get this whole chapter, you miss this one verse. Romans chapter 8, when you have that, say amen. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. Everyone say with me and I say, I am free from the law of sin and the law of death. Boy, I wish we could all live like that, Betty. If we all live like that, then we're free from the law of sin and death. We get our eyes off of everybody and how they're living, and we get we would live outside of the fear of death, and we would have the spirit of adoption in this church so to the point to where everybody's so optimistic we couldn't hold down their joy. And he goes on and he says, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sent in his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk after the flesh but after the Spirit. Not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. Tell that to your neighbor right here tonight. Say to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded uh, is life and peace. So a carnal mind, a fearful mind, a mind, a person that is living in darkness, a man, a man or woman that's living under the shadow of death, and the fear of death as a carnal mind, and the carnal mind is death. But the spiritual mind is just the spirit of life and peace, or the mind is of life and peace. And it goes on. It just says, for they, uh, where did I stop at? Verse number six. For, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God. If you look at your neighbor and say, my mind can be God's enemy. It can be his friend too, amen, but it is his enemy if it's carnal. It says, for he is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh. Everybody here tonight say that with me. I am not in the flesh. But I'm in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. 
But the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, if the spirit dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Everybody say the Holy Ghost dwells in me. Verse 12 says, Therefore, brethren, we are not debtors. We are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Say this with me. Say, I owe the devil nothing. Say this, I owe my flesh nothing. I don't have to please my flesh. I don't have to please nobody else's flesh. I ain't got to please the devil and nobody else. I ain't got to please the devil. I am free from that mess and I ain't got to live like that. Amen. If you could get that, we'd be free in the name of Jesus. Amen. Therefore, brother, verse number 12, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, we shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So let's make this. Say, I am led by the Spirit of God, and I am a son of God. For we, ye have not received the spirit of bondage. There you have it. Right there. There, there is your orphan spirit. You have not received the spirit of bondage. A orphan is one that does not have a mama and a daddy. Or their mama and daddy has died. Or their mama and daddy has given them away. It says that death carries you into the bondage. And because death carries you into bondage, you live your life as you fear death in bondage. And while you're in bondage, that spirit of bondage is running your life. It is called an orphan spirit. We need to see that. Y'all got me tonight. Amen. Said, You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit and that we are the children of God. I'll come back to that. And if children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Everyone say, we are the heirs of God. That means you have been allotted a portion of the inheritance of Jesus Christ with God. Amen. Read on this now. Now listen now. It says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. Underline that. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Everybody say, as a child of God, I have glorious liberty. Verse 22 says, For we know, listen to this now, For we know the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. The whole creation, not just you, everything in the creation. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. You can be saved and still groan and be in the pains of death. And not only they, but ourselves also, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doeth he, he yet hopeful? But if we hope for that which we see not, 
then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know that we should pray, we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the heart knoweth what's the mind of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know all things work together for the good of them that love God to them who are called according to the purpose for whom he did foreknow he also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among his brother moreover whom he did predestinate them he also called and whom he called them he also justified and whom he justified then he also glorified what shall we then say to these things if God be for us who can be against us say that with me if God be for us who can be against us well, you have not received the spirit of bondage again into fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry of a father. That word in the Greek for bondage there means a slave. It goes a little bit deeper than that. A slave, as you well know, is a person who is the legal property of somebody else. And if you're the legal property of somebody else, this slavery we're talking about here means you're forced to obey that. It is a person who works and is convinced. Get this, get this definition. It's a person that works and convinced that they have to work very hard, very hard, very hard to please their master. <laughs> I'm going to say it again. A slave, the spirit, causes you to make yourself believe uh -huh. that you got to work hard to please your master. Uh -huh. you got to work very hard. And if you're not working hard to please him, then you're not pleasing your master. Uh -huh. I don't know what else I got to do to please you. How many ever said that? That's right. That's right. <coughs> it also goes on means... Someone who shows no attempt of originality. Someone that's gave up, so I ain't going to do no better. That alcohol's got me whooped. That drug's got me whooped. And I ain't going to fight it no more. It also means that they give no attempt of constructive interpretation. They wait for everybody to tell them what they should be doing. Amen. Goes on a little bit means that there's no attempt for them to develop or to grow or to get better. How I many said in your life, I don't mind helping a person that's trying to help themselves. But I get tired of trying to help somebody that ain't trying to help themselves. That is the spirit's fruit of the spirit called an orphan spirit or the spirit of bondage. These type of people that has this does things without questioning whatever goes on. If they feel like that they need to go out and serve someone to make them happy, they do whatever they need to do. In other words, they try their best to buy somebody's love or their approval. Someone who becomes ingratiating. That word's a very deep word, but let me explain to you the word ingratiate means that you intend in every action that you do to gain somebody's favor or somebody's approval. That means in everything you do, if you have this orphan spirit, you're trying to gain God's favor and God's approval. And the bottom line is, is he's already gave you his favor and he's already gave you his approval for the cross. 
You're trying to make your husband love you when your husband already loves you. You're trying to make your wife love you when they already love you. You're trying to make your mama love you when they already love you. You're trying to make your child love you because you already love they, they already love you, but you already trying to make everything you do is to try to make somebody feel better about you. Oh, am I helping anybody? There's another word for it. It's a, it's a, 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 a mindset. It's called psychofanatic. It means behaving or do things in obedient or attentive mindset, meaning that you're more concerned about somebody else and their needs than you are about your own. Amen. Anybody ever emptied your bank account helping somebody else out? Amen. Someone who winds up being craven. That word craven means that you lack the courage to stand up for yourself. Uh-huh. You let people just walk all over you. Because you want them to be happy. I used to be the life of the party. When the money came in on Friday, boy, here came all the friends. The minute the money was gone, they were gone. And this stupid nut was stupid enough to let them drink everything I could buy. Party and eat all the food I could buy. And when I was broke come Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon after being paid on Friday, from Saturday to Friday, I didn't see or hear nothing from them. But sure enough, they showed up Sheila right on Friday afternoon. The minute I got home, want my money, want my money, want my money, want my money. And because I wanted their approval, I took my money and hurt myself to be the life of the party because I wanted to gain their approval. That's what happens when a drug connection comes after right. you. That drug ain't the one that you're going after. You're wanting to feel like you belong. You don't belong there anyhow, but the devil's trying to make you think that's where you belong. That's right. Because you don't feel like you belong, you don't love yourself. Because you don't love yourself, you don't think. Enough of yourself, you go on out and you put yourself in harm's way. You're scared of death, but while you're scared of death and what death can bring you in your life, you go out there and you do things that are escalating death in your life. One way I minister to drug addicts is I carry them to the hospital in white No, I don't carry them on the inside. I don't carry them into the emergency room, and I don't carry them in there for any images. I carry them up to the top of the roof and say, jump off. You're going to kill yourself? Go ahead and kill yourself. Quit messing with it and playing around with it. If you want to go ahead and kill yourself, go ahead and do it. Why in the world are you curing yourself? Oh, that'd be crazy. Well, why are you crazy enough to suck that mess up your nose? Why are you crazy enough to pour that stuff down your throat? If you don't want to die, don't do it because it's going to kill you. Amen. Amen. Get us home. It's someone that is devoid in the trust in God. And trust in himself. How many of you right now cannot make a decision because you do not trust yourself? Say amen. I'm talking to somebody here tonight. Amen. Pray, what do you think I need to do? You don't need to be talking to them. 
They don't know what they need to do. Chances are, if they had the same situation going on in your life, and when you go to ask somebody what, Lord help us, when you go to ask somebody what they think they need to do, you don't tell them the whole truth and nothing but the truth. You make it look a whole lot better, so they give you an unbiased opinion, and then you go out there and you do it, and then you get mad with that person that tells you to do it because they told you to do it. Now you feel like you're going to gain their approval, and now you wind up in trouble, and then you go back to them and say, "Well, you told me to do it. Yeah, I sure did. I told you to do it, but I didn't understand where you were coming from because what you told me." was not the truth. If you'd have told me the truth, I'd have probably done this. Y'all got me now. These people are not noticeably happy. That's what that word means. They're not noticeably happy. How many know a whole lot of people ain't happy? They're not optimistic at all. Like I said, you could give them a million dollars and they say, why didn't you give me two million? The word pessimistic means that you see the worst in the future. Or you don't see any hope or confidence in yourself in the future. Why are you like that? Why are we like that? Why are we allowing the pains of death to keep us that way? Because our mind is consumed with death, the pains of death. We can do it consciously or unconsciously. And what God is starting to share with me is so much in my life, I have let the pains of death unconsciously govern my attitude and govern my actions. I do things and say things to try to please people. I give things away to try to please people. I try to pat people on the back because I want them to pat me on the back. The truth of the matter is, is I don't have to do that. God's delivered me from that. What it means is, is they have the orphan mentality. A fear of death is where you have a fear of separation. We got a dog at the house right now. The minute you leave him, she is fearful to death of separation from uh, from Tina. When the car drives up, and I'm telling you, the car the house is a good eight, nine hundred feet, thousand feet from the, the road. When the car drives up, she hears that car. She goes crazy trying to get a hold of Tina, scared to death that Tina ain't coming back to be with her. Separation anxiety is the fear of death. Fearful of living alone is the fear of death. Fearful of not having your husband alive is the fear of death. Death is a region of darkness in your life. And when you're in there, you feel like the world is crashing down on you. Am I talking to anybody? Or it's about to crash down on you all the time. Am I helping anybody tonight? Smile at me if you're Even ain't smiled at me yet. There she goes. So we feel like our world's crashing. And we start to worry because we we, we think the world's crashing down on us or it's about to crash down. We were watching uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. And and his wife told him, said, you are a pessimist. And he said, all right, I'm going to try to live a little bit better. And he come in and everything was going wonderful. And he, the more it got, the better it got for him, and the better he got, and the more blessed he was, the more anxious he got. He wasn't used to that. Then he walked in, everything had been going good. He got a promotion and all this stuff at the job and everything. And he walked in, his wife looked at him and said, Your, your boss just called on the phone. So he said, Yes. The person he's got to cover this event. Ain't there, and he's wanting his head of the Sports Illustrated, whatever it is, together with him. And he said, Well, that's wonderful. That's great. Oh, yeah, another blessing. And she said, It's Identarod. 
Ray, that means you go to Alaska and sub-freeze and the temperature and you run out there and you can lose your feet and you lose your toes and all this stuff out here. Ready? Ah! Oh, my. And that's the way we act. <laughs> Fearful of death. What causes us to have that? It is that spirit called the orphan spirit just opening this at night. And because of that, we begin to worry. In my Tina's business, it would be, oh my God, we got so much money in this house, I'm scared we ain't going to be able to sell it. As the preacher and the pastor in the house, it would be, Lord, if I say that, or I'm going to make a tree so mad she won't come back. It's the fear of death. But it also gets you to the point to where it makes you have the mindset, if you don't do something, everything's going to crash. There are some of you on the sound of my voice right now, you cannot relax. Amen. Got to always be doing something. If you're laying on the bed, you got to be reading. If you're in the house, you got to be sweeping. You can't turn the TV on and enjoy the hour. Always got to be thinking up something for you and somebody else to do. Why? When you get to the brass bottom line of that, it's because you feel like if you don't do something, everything's going to crash. Uh-huh. Tina's final great saying is, do something productive. <laughs> Tell the leader that she said, make sure you do something productive. And that's good. Yeah, you're supposed to, but not to the point where it's so extreme. The reason why you're that way is you don't have a clearness of your identity and who you really truly are. And these type of people are really hard for them to feel like they're at peace or they have any security. I can't live three more hours without that line of cocaine or that crack. And I'm not secure enough in my strength and what God has done in my life. So I've got to go and take that stuff up my nose so I can feel secure. And because I can't be secure in that, I'm going to go and waste all my money to buy me some crap. The fear of death. But God's already delivered you from that. Look at your neighbor here tonight because y'all getting quiet at me and say, I am not an orphan. I am not an orphan. Hard for them to feel secure. They feel like, now this is where it's really good. Thelma, they feel like that nobody really loves them. The only reason why you got me around because you used me. I didn't have my job. You divorced me. And on the flip side of that, they feel like that they have no one that truly loves them at all. They feel like that they lack family or anybody to lean on to have any type of comfort. In fact, you'll hear them say, I ain't got no family when they got about 8, 10, 12, 15 family members living. Just because they ain't your brother, your sister don't mean they ain't your family. They can be an aunt, uncle, brother, sister, cousin, whatever they are. They still your family. They can be your family here in the church. You got a family. There's people there for you all the time. All you got to do is let somebody know what you need. But no, 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 no. I ain't going to let nobody do because if I don't do something, I'm the one that's got to make this happen. I got to make it happen. If I don't do this, my whole world's going to come crashing down on me. I got to help my child succeed. 
Gone are the days where they look at you and say, ah, you 18, hit the bricks. That's the way my mom and daddy done me. Hit the bricks, boy. Or you sit back and say, I got to figure out how I'm going to be successful. Or I got to figure out how my husband is going to be successful. Or I got to figure out how my wife is going to be successful. And I'm going to make sure that plan is applied. I have to figure out how I'm going to pay these bills. Or I got to be prettier than everybody else. I got to be smarter than everybody else. Or I got to live holier than anybody else. Help me, Jesus. Amen. Or I got to finish the job faster than anybody else. I got to be slicker and more wise than anybody else. And I just got to make something happen. I can't stand it for peace to be around. Some of y'all, when I say peace be still, you don't mean that. You mean all hell break loose so you can get in there and go to work with it. Got to make something happen all the time. But down deep, you secretly wish that somebody that truly knew you would love you anyway. That knew you from the top of your head to the sole of your feet, knew what your reaction was going to be, and knew all that. And you feel that way that nobody loves you because you honestly believe that no one really cares for you. That you're all alone in this life. No matter how close you are to a man or a woman, a boy, girl, brother, sister, aunt, and uncle, you're right there by yourself. Ain't nobody ever helped me. So God has shared with me what this, this demonic spirit, this orphan spirit, is killing the church. This orphan spirit, Sheila, is debilitating. It affects your emotional stability. It affects every relationship you're in. It destroys and causes every one of your relationships to gradually grow weaker and weaker. The very person that loves you with all of his heart or her heart because you're fearful of death and you experience pain and you will not allow God to minister you in your pain, their love grows weaker for you every day because you will not let them inside. And see, the same thing happens with you and God. This spirit comes in and attacks your mind, it attacks your emotions, and it causes you to suffer because you feel like you're abandoned. Anybody's ever felt like you've been abandoned? Let me share with you. My dad's been dead now 26 years. I was never close to my dad until about two years before he died. One reason why is when I got up, he was gone. And when he came into the house, he ate and got out in the yard. We didn't stay out in the yard with him all the time. After I got gone and I became a daddy, that's when I began to realize, hey, my daddy did love me. He didn't know how to share with me how much he loved me. But we got real close. Now, as I see him gone, I miss him so bad because there was so much that he could have told me, so much he could have helped me with. But this spirit I had allowed to work in my life, and it created separation in my life, caused me to worry, caused me to have anxiety, caused me to be fearful. And it became a stronghold in my mind. And it's still a stronghold in my mind. I can't stand for somebody to insinuate I'm telling a lie. It don't matter what nobody else thinks about me as far as me telling a lie or not. But God knows if I tell the truth or not. Why should I worry about what anybody thinks of me anyhow? But yet I don't like it. I will lose my cool quickly. It will remain there right on and right on and right on. 
if you don't confront it, and your children will have to fight it. It is a stronghold that is generational. Your children will go up under it. If you don't tear it down, it's going to become a generational curse. Not only will it be a curse in your life, it'll be a curse in your children and your grandchildren and their children. Y'all with me tonight? Amen. Amen. This is not a normal Kip Nance message. I want you to understand. In this mindset, if you don't line it up with the truth that's in God's Word, you're going to find out that it's going to kill you. It is a false belief system. It's a lie from hell that makes you feel like you're unaccepted. People don't come to church because they say, I don't fit in there. Oh, you fit in anywhere you want to fit in. Can I explain that again? You fit in wherever you want to fit in at. You can go and fit in at the grocery store. You can go and fit in. You can come to my family reunion. You fit in with them doves and them nuts if you want to. You can fit in wherever you want to fit in. And the reason why you don't fit in there is because you literally are scared to death of death. An orphan spirit is an identity in your life that lives apart from Jesus loving us with a perfect love. And because we will not let him love us with a perfect love, we don't love ourselves with a perfect love. One of the greatest needs that we've got in the church right now is for people in the church to realize that we are accepted in the beloved. We are the son of a living God. Amen. The spirit makes you feel like that you never are good enough. How many has ever said anything to anybody in your life? It don't matter what I do. It ain't good enough for you. You know what? You feel that way, but that person is not the one that literally is projecting that. It is you under the fear of death that you are living in bondage in this orphan spirit that feels like you're all by yourself. And no matter how hard you try, you ain't going to please nobody. I told my sister one time, I said, you try too hard to be friendly. You have a friendly, bubbly personality. She'll look at me and say, kid, and look at me, she'll go, I ain't that stupid, but she is, and she'll make me laugh. She don't have to make nobody like her. She's got a perfect personality, but she feels like that she has to make somebody like her, and it is this spirit that is coming and calling. Am I helping anybody tonight? Amen. The church needs to be uh, uh, brought to the point to where they are healed of fatherlessness. Because he is our father. Say that with me. He is our father. We don't seem to have a secure relationship and our mindset was being secure with God and our relationship with him. And I want to share with you, this is the oldest spirit of history. This is the spirit that originated with Lucifer. When he went up to his heavenly father and he was cast out of the family. And ever since he was cast out of the family, this orphan spirit has caused him to have pain and agony and he wants to take everybody down that took his place. That's why he hates you. He hates the father because he was cast out because iniquity was found in him. And this spirit will kill you. Amen. So let me ask you some questions while I close tonight. Amen. Smile at that right beside him and say, I am not an orphan. Tell another, say, you are not an orphan. Then tell another, say, you are accepted in the beloved. Let me share with you. You do not have to do what I'm fixing to ask you. You do not have to run out there and be held down by the addictions. You have been set free of it. 
God has stopped every avenue that the devil has in your life. He has closed it up and he has released you. He has released you in the bonds of death. He has put you on the way of peace. He has spiritually adopted you. You have a father. You have a family. You have an angel. You got the most powerful family that there is in this world and in this universe. You do not have to feel like you're not acceptable and you're not good enough. God said you're good enough and he brought you in and it don't matter what nobody else thinks about you. God says I accept you and I accept you as you are and I will use you like you is. Thank you, Lord. Yes. So get over it. Amen. Somebody tell that right beside say get over it. How many of you here has ever tried to buy somebody's love? Raise your hand. Some of y'all have tried to buy your children's relationship. Amen. Amen. Enter your bank account to make sure. What about when things are going bad and you feel like you're fixing to get hurt? You withdraw yourself and you pull away. How many's ever quit a church because you didn't feel like you fit in? How many's quit a job because you didn't feel like you fit in? That's the spirit. How many ever has ever anesthetized the pain on the inside of you by getting drunk, taking beer, taking a pill? How many of you feel unworthy and not good enough? Be honest. I'm not good enough to be a preacher. I'm not good enough to be a teacher. I'm not good enough to be Betty's friend. I'm not good enough to go to the pastor's house. I'm not good enough to go to church. They knew where I was at Friday nights. Do you feel that there's a void inside of you with trying to make your physical appearance better? I envy people. Lord, God, help me with this. Because Aunt Linda, when I get up in the morning, I don't want nobody to see me looking the way I look when I get out of the bed. It took a long time for Tina to see me that way. I don't like people seeing me with my hair messed up. I'm not vain. I just who I is. I envy some people that can get up and go get in the car in their pajamas and go shopping at the, at the IGA. Me too. Me too. I'm sitting here thinking to myself, how in the world can somebody do that? Some people know they can walk in town with their shirt off. I don't feel good walking in town with my shirt off. I kind of halfway envy some people that can walk around. I don't care if their guts hanging down to their ankles. It's still... No. feel like you're not good enough, feel like you're unworthy, and you try to make yourself look better. How many of you struggle with anger? Just a little bit. What about lack of self-esteem? How many has ever hurt yourself? Let me give a few. How many of you ever went and got a tattoo just to make it to feel the pain? How many ever has went and took that drink because you got thinking about what happened in your life in the past and it got so bad on you you couldn't get your mind up of it? 
And when you couldn't get your mind off of it, the only way you knew to get your mind off of it was to get drunk. But you know, every time you went and you got drunk and you woke up, that pain was still there when you got sober. I opened this up tonight as I preached to you because I need you to understand. What's killing living with worship center is an orphan spirit. We do not understand and identify, uh, know what our identity is for Jesus Christ. We have the spirit of adoption. We have been set free from the law of sin and death. We do not have to live in the pain of death. We do not have to be in bondage any longer. We do not have to try to go out and make somebody happy about what we say. We are who we are, and the I am says we are who we are, and we need to live and act like we are who we are and quit worrying about what anybody out there thinks about us. Let's be what the I am says that we are. I love that song that says, I am what I am, because the I am tells me who I am. I love that. So look at that right beside me and say, I am not an orphan. You have got a daddy. You have got a mama, whether she's alive or not. I'm going to tell you right now, you've got the greatest family there is in the world. Every saint that has went on before, it's up there in the heavens and the saints praying that you will finish your race and you'll lay aside the sin that's so easily possess you. you got angels at your beck and call at any time. You can have anything released in your life you want to have. It. Just because the devil's on down there pushing his door shut down the road, don't mean he's on yours. You don't have to be on yours. You don't have a choice. You can stop him before he ever gets there because that the cross at the cross where you first saw the light, God stopped it and he rendered it and he said it's inoperative in my life. There is no victory. There is no power. Death don't have any more power over you. Gone is the sin of death in your life and dust is sin now that we have the power of Almighty God and we are not living under the orphan spirit any longer. I have adopted you as my children. Some of y'all are 80 years old but I adopted you. I'm 56, but I am your daddy, spiritually. (laughs) Sometimes I don't do that good of a job. But I want you to understand this orphan spirit is killing you. How many of you here tonight, as I close, the Lord spoke to you a little bit tonight. The Lord's been talking to me the last couple of days with this. I want you to understand something. This orphan spirit will drive you into addiction. Yes. Because you miss being close to your daddy. Let me me explain what I'm talking about, and and I'm talking my family real quick. When I come along, Dewey was a teenager. Sidney had come, and Mitchell had come. Shortly after I got a little bit of age on me, Darlene came. I was two years old when Darlene showed up. So, This little boy right here never really got no attention. Mm -hmm. I would go in the back room, sit in the back room, and nobody didn't even know I was at the house most of the time. Mm -hmm. Daddy gave all his attention to Dewey while Dewey was at home. He was the oldest. He could do more than what we could, so Daddy gave all his attention to him. But the minute that Dewey left, Darlene come. And when Darlene popped in on the picture, she got all the daddy's attention. She was the only one in the family that could tell daddy she wanted a candy bar and a Pepsi, and he would drop everything he was doing and drive to town and get it for her and bring it back. And everybody else would go without the candy bar and the Pepsi. And every time I saw that candy bar and that Pepsi, I went in my back room, slammed the door, and said, Why can't I have a Pepsi? That's right. That's right. Although I love my sister, never threw it up in her face. And I knew the. 
And then, as I got married, Darlene left, 10 years old. Here comes Thomas. And instead of Mama, Daddy was gone, and now instead of Mama being able to give her attention to me and her attention to Darlene, here's Thomas. And now he gets all the attention. Now Darlene gets married, she's gone, and all of a sudden, Nathan shows up with a sickness. Out of all the grand youngins, he's the one with the sickness that's life-threatening. Trevor had the sickness too as well, but he got better through prayer. But this child was supposed to not even live through his after 18, so who got all the mama's attention? And all through these years, this fear of death of not having a mom and a daddy has done its weighing on me. And I've reacted to certain things a certain way. I'm not telling you my mama was a bad mama. She was one of the best mamas you ever have. And I know now, even though I was not close to my daddy, my daddy was one of the best men that ever lived on the face of this earth. He worked hard and he prepared for his family. But we were not close. I wound up being close to mom at the last few years of her life when I came and I started this church. And mama started coming to the church. That's when I started getting really close to mom. But I was already grown. I was leading people. I'd already started 12 churches at that point in time before I really understood what it was to have a mom. And my dad's been dead for 26 years. And then as I began to reach to my older brother and he began to be a daddy to me, then his crazy wife shoots and kills him. So I don't have a daddy to talk to anymore. So I felt like for the longest period of time that if I don't do something, everything's going to crash. I've even made a statement in this pulpit that I know that when that woman gets out of the prison that killed my brother, that I'm going to have to be the one at the family keeping everybody at bay because everybody's going to want to kill her. I'm scared the world's going to crash down. I'm, I'm giving you some things here. This is what this spirit will do to you. But God has told me this week, he said, you ain't got to worry about that anymore. I have delivered you. I have, I've rendered it inoperative. He can't do it to you if you don't let him. He ain't able to make you live in the fear of death and under bondage any longer. You are free. You are adopted by my spirit. And now you can live your life in peace. So now I can know that Darlene's going to be all right when Becky shows back up. I can know now that Trevor's going to be all right when Becky shows up. I know now that Thomas is going to be all right when Becky shows back up. I know now that God's got it took care of, and if everything goes haywire with it, I'm still going to be at peace with it because I'm not the one that is the Savior out there in this world. God's the Savior, and I ain't got to keep messing with it. Amen. I know I talked a long time, but look at somebody and say, I am not an orphan. I am a son of God or a child of God. Praise the Lord. How many glad you came to church tonight? You have an offering you can bring in as we close tonight. Anybody got anything they need to add here tonight before I go? Prayer tomorrow at 10.30. Thank God Sister Jackie knows who she is. She's talking. No residual effects from the stroke. There is power in prayer. Amen. Aunt Janice is getting big and fat and sassy. <laughs> Tina has fed her every two or three hours. She she has she has uh, listened to YouTube television just about all week. And Julie Green, she's just having her good old time right now. She, she might get to the point where she don't even want to leave. That <laughs> but praise the Lord. Amen. God is a wonderful God. Amen. Amen.
and God is going to deliver us. I hope you got some help tonight. If you did, say amen. amen. God wants to deliver you, so if you will, bow your head with me, Father. In the name of Jesus tonight, I know you went so deep on the inside of every one of us here tonight as you spoke to us. I know, Lord, as you minister unto me today, Lord, you carry me deeper than I've ever been in this situation. Lord, I know right now that this spirit, Lord, God, is a structure in my life. And God, at this point, Lord, you're going to have to give me the strength, the power, and the wisdom. You have to give me the revelation of where I can allow the Holy Spirit to rebuild the structure that would tear this down. Father, in the name of Jesus right now, I rebuke every bit of the fruit of the Spirit of bondage. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I stand against the fear of death. I will not live in bondage any longer. And Lord, I declare that word over our church right now. Father, they are going to begin to walk in the revelation of being the sons and the children of the living God. And, Father, that we are not going to have to please everybody all the time. That if we please you, Lord God, that will be enough. God, will give you the glory. We give you the praise and the honor for what you have done tonight. I thank you that you began to deliver people that are 80 and people that are 8. In the name of Jesus, I give you glory. I give you praise. Lead God and direct us. Let us use the money that you've given unto us with the spirit of wisdom to be able to better your kingdom and to go forward. And I'll give you the praise and the glory for it all. In the precious holy name of Jesus. And that the church say amen. 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 Hug and shake your hand. God bless you for coming. Amen. We'll see you if not.